Welcome to A Voice of Reason with your host, Kathy Horton and Sherry Petro-Sardell. We are offered new opportunities for growth daily. And with new opportunities, challenges are presented. Together, we can address the challenges and explore these opportunities. Now, here's Kathy Horton with Sherry Petro-Sardell. Welcome to A Voice of Reason. This is Kathy Horton, and I'm with Sherry Petro-Sardell. Today, we're going to discuss the wisdom and lessons from Anne Frank. Sherry, would you like to share a serenity prayer or two before we begin the Anne Frank uh, session uh, that we received from our listeners? Right. Last week, I invited you all to um, write your own serenity prayer and possibly send it to us. So I have two serenity prayers that I'm going to read. The first one says... God, grant me the serenity to accept people and situations as they are, not as I want them to be. I know I'm capable and courageous, especially when I speak, when I need to speak up and take action against social injustice. Remind me to give up the need to be right whenever I'm faced with an opposition where I should not get attached to an outcome. I am affirming that wisdom is one of my integrities. Wisdom will lead me to my highest whenever I'm willing to be still and listen. Isn't that beautiful? It sure is. So the next one is, grant me the serenity and support to help me in listening skeptically, especially to the demands that I put on myself. Grant me the courage to show up teachable every day. Show me the path to follow and grant me the wisdom to know what is mine to solve. What a great way to kick off our show today. Thanks for sharing that. Well, Sherry, I know two of your go-to mentors are Viktor Frankl and Anne Frank. Isn't it interesting that the mentors you have chosen most likely experienced hardships beyond what we're capable of understanding? The Nazis killed so many and attempted genocide of the Jews. The Nazi regime in that period of time was one of the darkest times in modern civilization, at least how I see it. I believe because of the darkness being so dark, the light bearers will seem so bright. Mm. In the midst of six million or more Jews being tortured, slaughtered, murdered. Victor and Anne were the bright lights for me. They lit up the darkness because they taught us how to do the darkest of times with dignity and integrity. Now, they were such different ages. Anne was but a young girl. Victor, a man who was accomplished neurologist and psychiatrist. And I highly recommend our listeners to read Victor's book, book Man's Search for Meaning, both finding themselves in the midst of so much hate, anger, malice, prejudice beyond anything we can understand, I can't even wrap my mind around it. It seems to be all the unthinkable and the almost unforgivable. Yes, so as you were stating, there were approximately 6 million Jewish people killed. So in this time of darkness, let me remind people that about 11 million were killed. There were 1.1 million children that were killed, and two-thirds of all the Jewish people living in Europe at this time were killed. For me, this is just unthinkable. Mm -hmm. Can you help us understand how these two mentors of yours helped to shift you? Those figures take my breath away every time I hear them. And they, I believe they should take everyone in the world's breath away. So let me breathe for a moment. When one is exposed to such horrible atrocities, we all need a foundation a belief system, and something greater than this evil. If we don't, we will either succumb to it or lose our sense of basic good and agree with it. We need role models. 
Just as Dr. Martin Luther King helped us and was a role model that gave help, hope um, during the civil rights movement, Anne Frank and Victor, Victor Frankl did that same thing in World War II. We always need good role models. Mm-hmm. When something horrible happens, we often need to find some sense of meaning in what is appearing to happen or we lose so much hope. It becomes useless and senseless. Life is a waste and we can't maneuver through the sadness, the horrors, the cruelty that we might be facing. You know, this is just a great reminder with all the terrible news that we even hear today. I'll just uh, use a small example here in the current media. Um, We seem to be getting a better sense of the level of sexual abuse and misogyny that has occurred. And for me, it's so much greater than I ever realized. Mm -hmm. I have heard you call Viktor Frankl and Anne Frank your your forever role models. Mm -hmm. Can you comment on that? (laughs) I like that. Forever role models. Hmm. As I said a moment ago, positive role models are needed to help us get through the horrors of life. This gives us a pattern to follow. It encourages us and teaches us and helps us make sense out of the senseless and to show us what going higher looks like. I remember how moved I was when I heard Michelle Obama say a while back, when they go low, we go higher. And that's what role models can do for us. These two are my favorite mentors because of what they taught me. Victor taught me that no one, absolutely no one, can take away my freedom to choose how I will behave in any situation. Victor said from his experience in the concentration camp where he lost his whole family, what he discovered was this. Everything can be taken from a person but one last thing, the last of the human freedoms, to choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances, to choose one's own way. Go higher, I say. He said that everything can be stripped from us. We can stand bare, naked, starving, beaten, and we still can choose to have dignity and integrity. Now, Anne taught me there is always something to be grateful for and to believe in goodness no matter what. She wrote this, In the evening when I lie in bed and I end my prayers, I do it with these words. I thank you, God, for all that is good and clear and beautiful. I am filled with joy. I don't think of all the misery, but of the beauty that still remains. I have found that there is always some beauty left in nature, sunshine, freedom, and in yourself. Look at these things, and then you will find yourself again and God, and you will regain your balance. Wow. that Those are really some beautiful reminders. Um Taking that that information, can you move on and share with us how Anne Frank helps you in the hard times? Well, when I get into my grumbles and I think my life is so darn hard, (laughs) oh no, I'll never make it grumbles. And at at that time, I'm not feeling grateful. I'm in my pity party. Mm -hmm. My pity party self. I look to Anne's words. If I say, you know, if a young girl, really still a child that is in hiding, living under a clear and ever-present danger, can find things to be thankful for, then surely I can. If she can say there's always something good, then so can I. (laughs) Great point. So would you please share some of Anne's story with us? I would love to. Um, Some of why we chose to do this um, program on Anne Frank is about the troubling times and some things that we're facing that could be very similar. So it behooves us all to understand that journey, and Anne's story is amazing. 
Mm-hmm. So Anne was one of two daughters. She was born to Edith and Otto Frank. She was born in Frankfurt, Germany on June 12, 1929. Now, Kathy was doing some research, and she just stumbled upon the fact that Dr. Martin Luther King was born in 1929, as well as Grace Kelly and Jackie Onassis. So that must have been a very good year for strong people. Her sister was three and a half years older than her. Her sister's name was Margo. Now, her parents were very, very smart people, and they decided to leave Frankfurt um, and, and go to Amsterdam because it seemed that what was brewing didn't look well, it didn't bode well for, for the Jews. And so they left Germany just a few years before to Amsterdam. In the meantime, they had tried to apply to the United States for political asylum, and it was refused. As a matter of fact, over those few years, it was refused three times. I think about the immigrants, and I wonder, are they going to live in peril or perish because freedom was not granted to them in the United States? So the Mm. family... And Amsterdam did very, very well. The Dutch people were very friendly and willing to help them. Otto built up his business, and things were going well. And then the word started moving toward Holland, to the Netherlands. um, And Otto Frank knew they were in danger. His factory was taken away from him. The girls were pulled out of schools. They only could go where there were German children. There was a lot of hate happening. And then Margot received a letter telling her that she must report to a German work camp. And the family all knew what that meant. She and her family, along with four others, spent over two years in hiding in an annex of rooms above her father's uh, plant until their whereabouts was reported by someone they knew. They were betrayed by someone they knew. Hmm. Well, I'm going to start by commenting on, I, I too found it very interesting to hear um, others born in the same year as Anne Frank. I have this perspective that Martin Luther King Jr. died young. But knowing this, it gives a whole new context to Anne dying so young. So in doing this, the research for the show, I learned a lot. I had never realized that the Frank family was shipped to a concentration camp. I had thought they were killed when they were discovered. Sherry, can you share with us what happened to them when they were captured? Mm-hmm. Well, they were deported to Westerbork Transit Camp. That's where the Jews went to be then dispersed into the death camps. And then they were taken to Auschwitz and then to another death camp. Anne and her sister Margot died seven, eight months after arriving. Otto Frank was the only one who survived out of the eight people. Um... It's so interesting. They were just so close to being um, recovered. Anne and Margot died just before the liberation. So how did Otto Frank, Anne's father, get her diary? <laughs> well, let's, let me tell you a little bit about the history of that red and white checkered photograph album, for that's what it was. Uh, That was given to her by her parents on her 13th birthday, June 12, 1942. Three and a half years later, she was dead. She chronicled those three or so years in her diary. It seems the neighbors found it in a trash bin after the Nazis ransacked everything. They evidently did not find a 13-year-old girl's writings of much importance. Divine intervention. I've thought uh, of that, that it was divine intervention that saved that diary. Her father, upon going back to the annex to wait for his family because he didn't know if they had died or not, was given the diary. It was published first in Europe 
1947, and then it came to America in 1952. Wow, that's just an amazing story, and it very much touches my heart. I can't imagine a father losing his family and then realizing and reading about a whole part of his daughter that he didn't know while she was alive. I know um, that Anne's sister Margot also kept a diary, but that was never found. Can you tell us more about Anne's diary? Mm. Well, it's been translated into 70 languages. It is a very clear, it's very clear that Anne was a gifted writer. And actually, that's what she hoped to be when she grew up. She wanted, she said she wanted to help mankind by becoming a journalist and speaking of truth. She was a typical teenager in some ways and a wise woman disguised as a child in many other ways. So the diary moves to and fro between the young girl and the wise woman. Can you give us an example of that? Well, the young girl is revealed in so many ways in the diary. You just have to read it. But she calls her diary the book of beautiful sentences. She often begins with her entries with, Dear Kitty. Now, that's the (laughs) little girl thing. You see, she was heartbroken when she was forced to leave her beloved cat behind when they went into captivity. And so the diary is written as if she's speaking to her kitty. Now, something else that shows that that she's a, a typical young girl. She writes about her first puppy love. This experience was with Peter Van Pels, who also occupied the annex with his parents. In the beginning, she finds him awkward and a bit dull, just boring, she said. But a year and a half later, she describes her first kiss and proclaims her love for him. She wrote, would anyone, either Jew or non-Jew, understand me? I am simply a young girl badly and needs some rollicking fun. <laughs> the wise woman comes through when she re- she writes with this um, understanding that is profound. Well, Sherry, will you share another one of Anne's quotes that you find profound? Only one? <laughs> really? <laughs> well, the one I most repeat to myself is... Think of all the beauty that is still left around you and be happy. There is always something to be grateful for. And as I said before, if a 13-year-old girl living in such deplorable conditions can say there is always something to be grateful for, be happy, so can I. Well, that certainly is profound. It reminds me to stay in the present moment and to express gratitude. If Anne could do so in these terrible conditions, I certainly can with all the abundance in my life. We all can. Yeah, that's a good good reminder. Um, You had mentioned earlier about finding Anne's diary and that it was so well preserved. And then what you said, that it was possibly divine intervention. I find that phrase interesting. What does it mean to you? Well, since you find it interesting, please tell me what that means to you, (laughs) divine intervention. Oh, that's that thing you do to me. (laughs) Well, all right, I'll give you my perspective. I say it's essentially a miracle occurring, whether it is a path to something very good happening, which especially if you thought that path to be unlikely, or something uh, bad was prevented from happening. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, I read in your book, A Voice of Reason, and I highly recommend that book, you call divine intervention synchro divinity. How about if you comment on that? Synchro divinity. Isn't that a beautiful word? Synchro divinity. It's not just a coincidence. It's not synchronicity that there's some force or divine influence that is de- moving it. Um, I'm so, I, I live my life looking for synchro divinity because it's everywhere. Well, I'm curious about Anne's relationship uh, with her family. 
How about if you share with us what you know about that? Well, since I am a family therapist, I would I study people's families very um, very often. So Anne's family and being in that captivity is a really good study. Anne adored her father, as did he her. He was the one that kept the diary when she wasn't writing in it, so no one could look at it. She asked him not to read it, and he never did. And when it was clear, only when it was clear that Anne was dead, did he open it. He had it in his hands, and when the word came, he opened it. He said when reading it that he never knew the depth of Anne's thoughts and feelings. Here they were so close. Hmm. And Anne had a very tumultuous relationship with her mother. This could be said um, as just part of a time when a little girl starts to enter adolescence and there's a mother-daughter thing that goes on. It also could be said that the whole entire book could have been written about their relationship because (laughs) it was so tumultuous. (laughs) The poor people living around them. The mutual irritations were said to be extensive. And then, after maybe a moment of being very upset and outspoken with her mom, wrote this. I need my mother to set a good example and be a person I can respect. But in, but in most matters, she's an example of what, I, what not to do, <laughs> not what to do. Then later, in a moment of calmness, she added this entry. My violent outbursts with my mom could be simply expressions of just normal anger. What's part of normal life? I could have worked it off by locking myself in my room or stamping my foot a few times or just calling my mom some names, of course, behind her back. (laughs) But not in these close quarters. Wow. So does that not sound like some possibly... Usual mother-daughter relationships at adolescent times? It sure does. Uh, I just can't even imagine because the tensions that just naturally arise when you're in tight quarters. And then in this instance, you have two families together and they're in tight quarters for over two years. Um, They weren't able to just walk away. Can you share with us what Anne's relationship was like with her sister Margot? Well, they were three and a half years apart while they were in hiding. And so a 13-year-old and a 16-year-old, you can imagine what it could be like. But their personalities were opposite in so many ways. Anne was spunky and confident and independent and outspoken. Margot was quiet and well-mannered. She was very close to her mother. She was so quiet, often people did not even realize she was there. Wow, isn't that interesting? You have one daughter with a contentious relationship with her mother and the other daughter that has a very close relationship. Well, it's time for us to take a short break. Stay with us and hear about the influence and effect of family dynamics and birth order on all this content. This is Kathy Horton, and you are listening to A Voice of Reason on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. what makes the most successful people tick keep listening to the voice america empowerment channel VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. are you looking for life's answers how about the meaning of true self can you really be a better person overnight well good luck with that now if you want to know more about this insane world and life we lead tune in to dr gary bell's absurd psychology You'll learn about how the brain operates under different psychological conditions. Some common sense. Heck, you might just actually learn something. Listen Fridays at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Empowerment. Life carries many uncertainties. Just when we think we may know where we are headed or think we have what we need, life happens and we are redirected. Join host Trina Wines each week for Life Happens, Let's Talk. By hearing stories from people just like you, as well as guest experts who can help, you'll arrive at your own understanding of the role you play in creating the outcome of your life. 
Listen live every Monday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time and 10 a.m. Eastern on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. Find out what makes the most successful people tick. Keep listening to the Voice America Empowerment Channel. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You are listening to A Voice of Reason. To reach the show today, call into 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. If you'd prefer to connect via email, our address is info at avoiceofreasonbook.com. Now back to this week's show. Welcome back to A Voice of Reason on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. So Sherry, let's jump right back into this. Can you share with us some of the information you have on family dynamics and birth order to give us a perspective on the Frank family? Yes, we promised on a Voice of Reason program that our intention was to weave psychology, spirituality, and the human condition in our shows. So let's weave a little psychology, and it's in regards to birth order and the mixture of family dynamics. Most of us are pretty familiar with the concept of birth order. Alfred Adler is the father of that concept. I'm particularly fond of his work, and it was so much so that I decided to do my doctoral studies at Adler um, School of Psychology. Mm -hmm. Here's a very abbreviated version of birth order. The firstborn gets to choose their role. In other words, there's no one else to tell them what a child looks like. So they choose... Um, what they want to be. It's a combination of nurture and nature, and often we hear the firstborn is the strongest one, the firstborn is this, but not necessarily. Somewhere between their nature and nurturing, the firstborn might not be as in Anne's and Margot's case. So the firstborn in that case was mild and meek. So that only allowed Anne to take the opposite of Margot. Now, just a little um, tidbit is that if there's a third born, that one is usually a clown, often a combination of the other two, unless it's seven years apart, because then it's as if they're starting all over again. So this, if they're seven years apart, that one would become the first born. I think it's so fascinating, particularly with Margot and Anne, because, you know, Margot was quiet and reserved, and she did, didn't really want to be drawing any attention to herself. Her mother was quite possibly a bit more like Anne, fiery, outspoken, and strong-willed. So her relationship with Margot would fit much better because Margot was very reserved. Now Anne, as the second-born, chose to find her place in the family by being the absolute opposite of her mom and Margot. Given the strong-willed and outspokenness of her mom, Anne and her mom would have been a bit more contentious because they would have been too much alike. Relationship dynamics are always interesting because of the fishing pole effect. You know, the idea of the opposites attack. Ta- atta- attract, I'm sorry. The fishing pole has a hook at one end and a handle at the other, but it's still a fishing pole. Now, Anne was much more connected to her father because of her father's depth, and she saw him also as very calm and stable, so she would be attracted to that to calm her down. Margot was more connected to her mother because her mother drew attention away from her, and she did not need, Margot did not need to make any decisions because the mother did that, all that for her. Hmm. Well, um... It's so interesting to me because what I'm hearing is that this was all just normal family stuff. Mm -hmm. And the Franks just had to experience it in a terrifying surrounding. Oh, surroundings. Yes, the surroundings were horrible. So right now, I'm going to ask our audience, 
for a moment to close your eyes. Picture having most everything you own taken away from you. You and your family have been robbed of every possession that you've worked so hard for. You're forced to wear a symbol on your arm that brands you less than. People call you names and even spit on you as you walk down the street. They eventually will brutally physically attack you. Your children are removed from the schools that they attended and their friends. Most of your own friends have been taken from their homes. Rumors say they are in death camps where they're being starved and worked to the point of death and often murdered. They were murdered. They were in those situations because they didn't have blue eyes, because they had a different religion, because they loved someone of the same gender, because they spoke up against violence and a regime that would not tolerate it. So you have to go into hiding, and this is the only possible hope to save you and your loved ones from the torture and the death. And then, to top it all off, your friends, a.k.a. your betrayers, told on you and your family was captured. This scenario is not a movie. It's real. It was real. And these terrifying surroundings that I spoke of, they were horrible. The sadness, if the Frank family hadn't, there's this sadness that I feel in all of it, though, that if they hadn't been betrayed by their AKA friend, they would have needed only six more weeks and the allies would have been there to free them. You spoke of talking about synchro divinity and divine intervention in regards to sparing her diary, yet it was, was it synchronicity or synchrodivinity or divine intervention that chose not to spare her life? Just a thought. Wow, that's, that's a whole heck of a lot to think about. You know, just trying to picture all of my possessions being taken from me, losing people close to me, and then on top of all of that, the betrayal uh, by somebody close, someone that, that I thought was a friend, it's, it's just terrifying. But that last point is something to take a closer look at. Can you help us reconcile divine intervention with Anne's diary, but not with her life? <sighs> well... How I reconcile it, some might say justify it or to prove what I believe, is that there are so many events that can take place in our lives. And in that event, all we can see is the sadness of it or the horror of it or this isn't right, it shouldn't be. Yet I just wonder if there isn't a higher good always working. So let me explain it this way. Suppose Anne survived and the course of her life, she decided not to give us the wisdom that was in that diary. Maybe she decided to get married to Peter, her first love, have a few children, and stop writing. Hmm. Just a thought. Somehow I think Anne would think of her death as there is always something good. Wow, I'm certainly getting a clear glimpse of this young, wise teacher. I'd really like to know a bit more about how she saw herself up close and personal. Well, I'm going to let her tell you. This is what she wrote. Actually, I'm what a romantic movie is to a profound thinker. A mere diversion, a comic interlude, something that is soon forgotten. Not bad, I'm just not particularly good. I hate having to tell you this. Remember, she's talking to her kitty. I hate having to tell you this, but why shouldn't I admit it when I know it's the truth? My lighter, more superficial side will always steal the march on my deeper side, and therefore it wins. You can't imagine how often I have tried to push this Anne away, which is only half of what is known as Anne, to beat her down to hide her. But it doesn't work, and I know why. Well, I would have to tell you, this really speaks to my heart. I know often I hide my sensitive side. I even find that I'll say something sarcastic or 
I'm just looking to get a smile or a laugh. I'll say something to cover up the depth of my sensitivity. And Anne was so young in recognizing this different hidden side. Could that be why sometimes we feel an imposter in our own body? Well, I have to read the rest of that quote. Okay. She said, I'm afraid that people who know me as I usually am will discover my other side, a better and finer side. I'm afraid they'll mock me and think I'm ridiculous and sentimental and not take me seriously. Wow. Well... So, um, there is this two sides of Anne. Yep, absolutely. Um, You know, this really, um, you know, if I look at it, uh, Anne spoke of being in fear, and fear of being ridiculed. And to to me, what I think of is the Marianne Williamson, Our Greatest Fear quote that Nelson Mandela also repeated in his inaugural speech. It is our light, not our, not our darkness, that most frightens us. Our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are, we are powerful beyond measure. It is our light, not our darkness, that most frightens us. We ask ourselves, who am I to be brilliant, gorgeous, talented, and fabulous? You know, there's nothing enlightened about shrinking so that other people won't feel insecure around you. Mm-hmm. Is this what Anne Frank was talking about? Yes, and I think that answers your question about the imposter effect. When our inside voice doesn't match our outside voice, we believe that we need to be hidden. Well, um, I, I have something else. I just thought of it. With Anne, all of Anne's um, quotes... Anne and Marianne's quotes are just good reminders for us to live in our true self. You know, um, we, we seem to be experiencing a time when there is so much that is not good in the forefront of all this information that we're receiving. Now, we hear of mass killings. We hear so much about sexual abuse. And there's more. Mm, always more. Have we, have we learned nothing from Anne Frank and Viktor Frankl? Are we ever going to learn our lessons? Mm, Kathy, those are some deep questions. And I can tell right now you're looking at things very seriously and deeply. And that's what I hope our audience is. It seems that Anne is really speaking from the ethers right now when she said this. I see the world gradually being turned into a wilderness. I hear the ever-approaching thunder, which will destroy us. I can feel the sufferings of millions, and yet, if I look up to the heavens, I think that it will come right, that this cruelty, too, will end, and that peace and tranquility will return again. You know, there's something so prophetic uh, about those words, and they're also a prophecy. We are living in a time where the word Nazi has resurfaced again as a thunder, which can destroy us. Neo-Nazi isn't really anything different. It's Nazi. And the Nazi um, system is the one that killed 11 million people. There's nothing new about this. Mm -hmm. There's no Neo. So back to the lessons and your questions, are we ever going to learn our lessons? If we don't learn them now, we must repeat them. And this is life school. And if you don't get to the next class because you didn't learn your lessons, you'll stay in it and it will present itself again. Well, this is all great information. We need to be diligent about ensuring this does not happen again. I know it's going to change my um, my perspective on speaking up a bit sooner, even when I hear the word Nazi in a tolerant fashion. Can you help us with our homework for this week so we can move on to the next level? So you want to go to the next grade, do you? You, I'm trying. (laughs) You are that always achieving, improving person. Well, Anne wrote that in spite of everything, I still believe that people are really good at heart. I simply can't build my hopes on a foundation that is consistent of hate, confusion, misery, and death. 
So I say if we want to build our foundations and pass to the highest grade, we need to know what our principles are. Yeah, so knowing all of this, can you help us with what we need to to do to find our principles that can serve as the basis of our foundation? I'm going to turn to Zig Ziglar right now, and this is what he said. The foundation stones for being a balanced success is honesty, integrity, character, faith, love, and loyalty. That's the place to begin. I suggest everyone write a mission statement about what their principles are or what their intention is. You can begin with the words, my life purpose is, um, something, something like that. So, Kathy, um, is this something you might be interested in doing sometime? Well, I, I just want to let you know, I attended the Fulfilling Your Destiny workshop that you taught, and I found it to be all very informative and helpful. Maybe the attendance was divine intervention to a radio show. So, um, I know it's time for a short break here. Stay with us to hear Anne Frank's mission statement. You are listening to A Voice of Reason on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Build your better business. Achieve that goal. Make good on that resolution. The Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. Broaden your mind. Open your heart for a greater understanding of how to express your pure and authentic nature. Tune in and turn on 1111 Talk Radio. Simron, author, publisher, and life mentor, broadens minds and opens hearts to a greater understanding of life, consciousness, and humanity. 1111 Talk Radio is every Monday at 11 a.m. Eastern, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. 1111 Talk Radio. You are not on a journey. You are the journey. You are experience experiencing itself. Have you always known that something different was possible for your life and in the world? What if you could create beyond your current reality? If your relationships, finances, business, health, and life could be anything, what would they be? Join Heather Nichols for an invitation to discover what is true for you in every area of your life and for conversations loaded with pragmatic tools for how to create it. Listen live every Monday at noon Pacific and 9 p.m. Central European time for Creating Beyond Reality on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network shows and hosts are in your car, outdoors, and wherever you need them to be. Listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Build a better business. Achieve that goal. Make good on that resolution. The Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. You are listening to A Voice of Reason. To reach the show today, call into 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. If you'd prefer to connect via email, our address is info at avoiceofreasonbook.com. Now back to this week's show. Welcome back to A Voice of Reason on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. We're going to cover Anne Frank's mission statement, but before we do so, Sherry, will you share with us your mission statement? Hmm. Well, as I said, would you be willing to write yours? I happen to know that you did in the workshop that I gave, Fulfilling Your Destiny. Mm-hmm. And so I'm just wondering, how about you share yours first? Sure, I'd love okay. to. You're so agreeable. <laughs> So, I am a student of continuous learning and improvement. I lead my life by example and always remain teachable. I aim to share the beneficial information that I learn with all those that are interested in listening and learning. I love fully without judgment, and I use my definition of success, which extends beyond only financial measurement. I demonstrate my faith my generosity, and my gratitude daily. 
I have fun and I smell the roses as I live in the present moment. (laughs) That's a beautiful mission statement. And I have to say, knowing you and you being one of my dearest friends for almost seven years, that you do live your principles. Mm, Thanks. Okay, so you would like to hear mine, huh? I would. Okay, so when I wrote the book, A Voice of Reason, I said that I was in search of my own policy manual because I was not doing so well. I was kind of living everyone else's policy manual. And on the first few pages, the first thing I did was write my mission statement. My mission statement is, I am to be a contribution to this world by seeing all possibilities that assist others to live in their highest. I demonstrate this by teaching and by serving. It is my desire to help us all live in a higher consciousness. In other words, I want us all to move up to the next class, the next grade, and graduate that this world may be a better place. Mm, Nice. How about um, if you share Anne's uh, uh, mission statement? Sorry. (laughs) <laughs> Which I was, over there? Yeah, I was, I was listening to all your content. But you were if, engrossed in my mission statement. I was. And how am I doing? Very well. Okay. I'm very appreciative of the example that you set. Thank you. Okay, this is Anne's. I don't want to live in vain like most people. I want to be useful and bring enjoyment to all people, even those I've never met. I want to go on living even after my death. Hmm. So Anne truly did live out her mission statement, didn't she? It's a reminder that it's never too late to make a difference even after we're gone. We do that by living a clear life with principles. Anne certainly is living beyond her death. Boy, that's, that certainly is true. That's great information. So this is what Anne said. How wonderful it is that nobody need to wait a single moment before starting to improve the world. Now that is a great reminder. No matter what I did yesterday or the last moment, I don't have to wait another moment to do better. And of course, we all know that change begins with ourselves. If we want peace, we need to be peace. If we want to see this trend toward hate and inequality end, we must speak up and never accept it as normal. We must define our integrities and our principles. And said, although I'm only 14, I know quite well what I want. I know who is right and who is wrong based on goodness. I have my opinions, my own ideas and principles, and although it may sound pretty mad from an adolescent, I feel more of an independent person than a child. Hmm. So that does sound like that inside-outside person that Anne was describing, that who she was, she called it her finer self, her higher self, her deeper self, that was inside of her was the voice that she wanted to speak, and that was her principles. Wow, that is just fantastic information. Okay, so I am thinking it's time for me to put a closing on this. Okay. And I want to close with a story of a courageous young independent woman who worked in the Dutch underground resistance. She worked trying to protect the Jewish people Um, in the Netherlands, she helped save the life of a young Jewish man through the Underground Railroad. They fell in love, and to them was born my dear friend Robert. Hmm. This dear friend has spent his life being a contribution to the world. He has served in the medical field. He volunteers. He's volunteered from the Appalachians to all over the world giving what he has to give. And then I think, if there weren't people dedicated to the principles Anne wrote about, 
my friend Robert and countless others would not have been here to live their life's purpose and bless others. What his mother did changed our world. What Robert chose to do changed our world. History very well may be preparing us to recreate the horrors of the past. May we be courageous and principled people who will resist against anything that ever happens that is about social injustice and atrocity. May the word Nazi never become an acceptable word. May we preserve our human goodness that Anne talked about. May we learn from the words of Anne Frank. May we stand up for right so all future generations can show up and give back. Wow, very profound, and I very, very much appreciate it. Well, let me give you my wrap-up of this. Um, I'll repeat, these atrocities must never be repeated. I'll encourage all of you to know what you believe in. If you do not know your integrities, I encourage you to figure them out. Know what you value and make a promise to never compromise on your principles, your foundation. If you need assistance with laying this foundation, please contact us as Sherry is just a fantastic life coach and she can assist. What I would add to that is that I also do workshops on fulfilling your destiny, on releasing, renewing, reclaim. That's how you find out what your integrities are. And um, relationship workshops so you can understand that whole family dynamics thing. And meditation. So if any of those sound of interest to you, contact us and we'll set up a time to have a workshop in your area. Thank you. Well, with that said, great reminder and thank you very much, Sherry. Always remember that you are here on purpose for purpose. Thank you very much for listening in. Tune in next week to hear about the biggest lie in the human condition. And please send us your thoughts as every discussion improves with more perspective. We have been surrounded by a lot of lying. (laughs) Um, But I don't know if you know what the biggest lie is. And that's according to Paulo Calejo. And so we're going to talk about that. So I hope you'll join us. So hopefully you're intrigued right now and we'll catch you next week. We look forward to hearing from you. Thank you very much. Thank you for tuning in this week to A Voice of Reason. Please join your host, Kathy Horton and Sherry Petro-Serdell for another edition next Friday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Until then, have a terrific week.